0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. As the issues that are happening in the Middle East right now are seemingly staying as bad as they've been, or possibly even worse, I'm going to continue to not play the intro music and try to keep this podcast a little bit more on the somber side, considering the recent events. Hopefully in the near future, we can get back to our old, traditional, educational, and uh, more entertaining podcasts. So I appreciate those who have been able to bear with us for the last few weeks, as unfortunately the news is not always that great. But on this week's podcast, I want to talk a little bit about two things that have happened this week. First of all, on George Washington University campus, and frankly many campuses across the United States and around the world, the idea of resistance... And secondly, I want to talk a little bit about a conversation that I had over the last two weeks with a person who claims to be a pro-Palestinian activist. For those of you who may not be aware of the situation going on at George Washington University specifically, not long ago there was an incident on the campus where one of their main buildings had someone projecting messages of anti-Israel hate and propaganda very large for all to see. This was bad enough as we've seen anti-Semitism grow around the world, frankly, but we had a number of George Washington University professors signing on to the idea that resistance is allowed for Palestinian Arabs. This is what I want to talk about for the first half of this podcast, the idea that resistance is allowed. Obviously, in my personal opinion, resistance can mean so many things to so many different people. Typically, we think of resistance as going up against an oppressor. So if we take that idea first, Are the people of Gaza really fighting back against the oppressors, the Israelis? Because I have a little bit of an issue with that. If you think about it, since 2005, Israel completely withdrew all of their forces and their civilians from that area. It was completely empty of all quote-unquote oppression. But when you talk to some of these people, they'll suggest, well, Israel has put up borders around them and having a blockade, which may be a fair point, except for a few things. Number one, those walls only went up after the Gazan people voted in the Hamas leadership. Then the walls went up. When terrorism became a problem, walls went up. Before that, it was open. So therefore, are they not somewhat to blame for their own supposed borders? The other thing that is also brought up very frequently is that Israel controls the doors to these prison camps that they claim they have. However, this is also false. Israel does control one side but often left out is the Egyptians that control the other side. And the Egyptians, despite the fact that they themselves controlled that area up until 1967, when they refused to take it back following a war they lost, they supply no food, they supply no electricity, and no water to Gaza. They could care less. Whereas we have Israel, who not only supplies all of these things for them, but they also open their borders for workers to come into Israel to make money which is more than any other Arab country has ever done. So when we look at occupation as an excuse for the resistance, there doesn't really seem to be an occupation and the fact that Israel is only giving them opportunities, not restricting their lives. The restrictions only come at the hands of Hamas. Hamas keeps its own people down. They are oppressing their people. We have seen endless testimonies of people who are brave enough or have their identities hidden to speak out about the terrible things that are happening in Gaza. We see the videos of Hamas people with guns on top of aid trucks making sure that it doesn't get to the people. This is oppression. What does Israel have to do with any of this? And yet, for some reason, these people parrot the idea that they are so oppressed because of Israel is absolutely outrageous, and this does not support the idea of resistance. The people themselves, although most of them support Hamas, unfortunately, according to polls, aren't actually standing up to their real oppressors, which is Hamas because they know that they will be murdered if Hamas finds out they're standing up against them. Instead, it's Hamas, the oppressors themselves, who claim to be oppressed, and then they attack the Israeli state for the supposed oppression. But these Hamas fighters aren't attacking soldiers, or bases, or military sites, or train tracks, or things of that nature. They're actually intentionally hitting civilian sites. They're attacking women children, babies, using sexual abuse against women. This is not freedom fighting. This is not taking on an oppressor. Please explain to me how the people of the Nova Festival were oppressors. Most of those people were left-wing peaceniks. So explain to me why you're targeting specifically not military sources. Not that I support any kind of violence because I don't. But the reality is, had they only hit military sites... I actually might have agreed with the idea that that is some type of resistance. It is one military arm of a terrorist organization hitting another military. Fair. I don't want to see it. It's terrible. And I pray that Israel will actually defend themselves and get rid of any terrorists. But at least that's somewhat equal. So claiming resistance is the death and murder of babies is just unbelievable. Like you are rewriting the word resistance. Think about Mahatma Gandhi How he would be rolling in his grave right now thinking of resistance. He took on the British Empire with no weapons. Nelson Mandela of South Africa. He also promoted nonviolence against the country that was oppressing his people. And yet, amazingly, he was able to actually do it. He became president of the country and freed his people from this apartheid state. By the way, a real apartheid. Not like the BS they say about Israel today. These people did nonviolent resistance. And it works. Whereas this violent resistance against civilians doesn't work. This is the sad fact that the Palestinian Arabs have never figured out. They will not give up on the idea of being violent and killing as many people as they can. Civilians, babies, women, soldiers, they don't care. So for the people of George Washington University who are claiming that the Palestinian Arabs have a right to resistance... I think you are disgusting human beings because they have a right to resist peacefully, non-violently, or at most against military targets. But the fact that you think that babies, women, people who are at a music festival are legitimate targets for resistance as if any of these people had anything to do with the policies of the Israeli government, this is outrageous and you are supposed to be the academic higher learning institutions. You guys have like two brain cells to rub together at this point. How is it that you could be so stupid to think that resistance, violent resistance, is justified in any way, especially against civilian targets? And here's a thought that I had when you brought up the resistance being justified. Sure, let's pretend that you guys are right and resistance is justified. Just curious how long that resistance is allowed for. It's been about 80 years at this point. So, you know, when does it end? Because you know what? The Jewish people lived under terrible rule over the last thousand, two thousand years in exile and within the state of Israel. The Ottomans, the Romans, the Greeks, over and over again, should we still hold a grudge? Are we not allowed resistance? The Palestinian Arab terrorist groups have done so much damage to Israeli citizens and suicide bombers of the Intifada in random stabbings. Why are we not allowed to be resistance fighters? Why can't we go and kill random people in the streets? It's resistance, right? It's only fair. How long do we have to take our revenge against people who have harmed our people? Should the Germans not watch out, considering how they didn't treat us too well? Should we now be taking revenge against the Germans? Should we be trying to murder them in their streets? Because even though they're innocent civilians and they themselves have nothing to do with World War II and the atrocities that happened, but you know what? Revenge can last forever, apparently, No matter how long it takes, no matter how distance you are from the actual atrocity that you claim has happened, it's all fair game. Obviously, anyone listening to this can realize how stupid that sounds, how absolutely ridiculous it would be for the Jewish people today to go into German cities and start killing German citizens and killing their babies all because of what happened years ago. But for some reason, the Palestinian Arabs are allowed to do it, and it's somehow different. Why are they the only ones who are allowed to keep this revenge going forever? Should the people of South Africa now go and kill their former oppressors? Should the Irish start their fight again because resistance is justified? What about the Chinese in Japan? Let's get that going again. Why is it that only the Palestinian Arabs seem to be allowed to resist? There are plenty of conflicts going on around the world, and no one has ever justified the treatment of innocent people the way that you are treating these people that are at a music festival or at home in their beds. It is disgusting and immoral. You guys are clearly just morally bankrupt. And this leads me to my second point of this podcast. The moral bankruptcy of someone that I spoke to for honestly two weeks, my brain hurts. This person started a conversation at the JDR.podcast Instagram account where they decided to direct message me Funny enough, his first message to me was quite good off the start. He wrote, Hello, oppressor, with a little smiley face. And I thought that was quite funny, considering he knew nothing about me or any of my views. For the last two weeks, he and I have gone back and forth and back and forth, and I swear it was so painful because every time he would make a point, I would ask a question, which essentially disproved everything he said, and then he would switch topics to another one. It's almost like he had a list of things that he wanted to talk about and his key points that maybe work on other people who are a little less educated than I am on the topic. So he would bounce around from place to place to place and every time I would poke holes in all of his arguments. He spent a great deal of time trying to convince me that the Palestinian Arabs of today are somehow related to the Philistines of the Bible. I asked him a few times to please show me one example of where the Palestinians or Philistines were talked about Post when the world knew that they disappeared after the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian taking over the region, we know the Philistines essentially disappeared. So show me anything from the time of the Maccabees talking about their neighbors, the Philistines or the Palestinians. Maybe the Egyptians mentioned them in something. The Hebrew Bible, along with many other Jewish sources, talk endlessly about the Moabites and the Hittites and all of the groups around them at the time. Yet I guess they just happened to forget about these Philistines and Palestinians. His only argument when I asked for proof was William Shakespeare, a man who wrote in the 1600s in a fictional play. That was his excuse. He saw the word Palestine in a Shakespearean play and decided that that is proof that the Palestinians existed in the 1600s. I pointed out the fact that I could be wrong here. I'm not a literature scholar, but I'm pretty sure that Romeo and Juliet didn't live in Verona either. And I pointed out the fact that William Shakespeare, unfortunately, has a little bit of a history with anti-Semitism. If you've read the William Shakespeare play Merchant of Venice, you'll know that he didn't quite like the Jews. So the fact that a fictional author many years later used the term Palestine that that somehow proves that the Philistines turned into the Palestinians and they've been there forever. I begged him to give me more information. Please, I'm an academic. I need, like, research, something to go against the entire academic field that said that the Philistines disappeared. Give me something. And he changed the topic. But the best thing that happened, honestly, was the fact that he brought up history that was completely contrary to everything everybody around the world knows. But he, for some reason, believes that all of that is a lie, and it's all conspiracy theories. He used one of the most famous and horrible arguments that most of these people use, which is that Israel's been occupying the region of the West Bank since 1948, which is actually pretty funny because I asked him, well, hold on a minute, wasn't Jordan controlling the area from 1948 to 1967? And of course, this led to a brief pause to try and figure out how he's going to make up this argument, because historically, we do know that to be true, I pointed out the fact that Jordan was actually threatened to be expelled from the Arab League for holding on to that region that didn't belong to them. And we know that the Palestinian Liberation Organization started in Jordan and murdered one of their kings for the oppression that they were facing under the Jordanians. So to this, he had one response, that the Jews bribed Jordan to not give the Palestinians a state, which absolutely makes no sense to me. I tried to figure that out. I'm like, wait a minute, the Israelis that Jordan hated, that were fighting in 1948, apparently were taking bribes from these Israelis that they hated and were trying to make a war with in order to not give the Palestinian people a state. That doesn't make any sense. And then I said, what about in 1967 when they went to war with Israel again? If they were being bribed by the Israelis to not create a Palestinian state, then explain to me why they'd go to war with their person who's bribing them. Why would they cut off their money? Oh, well, all the Arab countries are being bribed by Israel, apparently. Israel's bribing every country to not help the Palestinian Arabs. This is how he convinces himself that it's okay for everybody around the Middle East to not care about his people. That's how he justifies it, because Israel apparently is bribing all of them, despite the fact that at the time they were all attacking Israel. This made Zero sense whatsoever, and of course, yet again, changed the topic. Oh, and of course, not to mention, when I asked him what he thinks about the Arab-Israeli people who are supportive of the state of Israel, who fight for the state of Israel, of course, they're being threatened into supporting Israel, apparently, including all the judges and the lawyers and the politicians, all of which who say they will not leave the state of Israel, even if a Palestinian state is created. They are apparently being threatened to say these things by the Israeli state. The conversation honestly was just outrageous and I ended up having to kind of put a hold on it because I was so exhausted mentally of dealing with some of these asinine arguments that he kept making and changing the subjects every time he didn't really have an answer. The final straw for me though, unfortunately, was the fact that he tried to prove a point by bringing up chat GPT for an answer. And at that point, I just gave up. I'm like, I can't deal with someone who tries to get chat GPT to give him the answer that he's hoping for. And then it didn't even prove what he was trying to say. I honestly am questioning his ability to understand anything I was saying. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. But it's quite interesting to have this conversation, to try to understand their arguments. And really, I was actually surprised. I was kind of hoping to understand their side, to maybe have an actual peaceful conversation where we can find common ground. I couldn't find common ground on literally anything. It was absolutely ridiculous the levels that this person would go to to justify the murder and death of Jews and the whitewashing of Hamas and all of the Palestinian Arab terrorist organizations who are actively harming their own people. I couldn't believe this is a man who claims to be Palestinian himself, and yet he knows so little about his own history, but he seems to have like a list of random topics that he doesn't know anything about I was really disappointed to hear that this person is unfortunately like the George Washington University people, believing that resistance in this form is justified. And in that way, I can't really find any common ground with a person who believes that. And someone who denies factual history, all of academia, archaeology, honestly, I just I can't do it. I can't have a conversation with you. I really tried two weeks of talking back and forth on a daily basis. It was painful. In the end, honestly, the idea of resistance that we hear today along university campuses, on signs, put up on walls through projection, it is absolutely outrageous that people are justifying resistance in this way. We used to, as a world, appreciate the passive resistance, the people who stood up to power without drawing a weapon because it was admirable. Now, for some reason, people at universities, people I talk to on our DMs are actually justifying violent resistance. This was never something that we appreciated or supported or cheered on. Something has shifted in the world that for some reason, violent resistance is okay as long as people perceive your oppression to be enough to justify that resistance and violence against innocent people. And that should never be the case. We should be striving for Peaceful resistance or, frankly, just peace? I hate to point it out. If there was peace, there would be no reason for resistance. And then in that same vein, why is Israel illegally attacking the Palestinian Arabs in Gaza? But the Palestinian Arabs in Gaza are rightfully attacking Israel. Why? Because Israel has a bigger army, has more power. So that justifies the death and murder and slaughter of a whole bunch of innocent people because their army was stronger, the levels people will go to justify the pain, hate, and destruction that these resistance fighters cause is actually outrageous. For anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm pretty sure you already know this and it doesn't require me to say it. But if there is someone who doesn't already know that, smarten up, stop being an idiot, like some of these people online and university ivory towers. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at JDR.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time.